James 2, 24 and 26. You can just follow along on the screen as I read it this morning. It says, so now it's clear that a person is seen as righteous in God's eyes, not merely by faith alone, but by his works. And then in verse 26, it says, for just as a human body without the spirit is a dead corpse, so faith without the expression of good works is dead. All right. Thank you very much, James. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. It is alive, it is breathing, and let it speak to us this morning. God, my prayer um, is, is similar every week. We, I want everybody that's in this room to leave changed as a result of having an experience and an encounter with you. So do it with your word this morning. Uh, if maybe you've already done it through worship, God, so we thank you for that. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. All right. So get ready this morning. There's front and back on your notes. Uh, I, I hope you're a note taker. Um, I, it helps me to, re, to uh, engage in at least my mind and uh, to remember when, when I take notes. But there's a lot of notes this morning simply because there's a lot of scripture. And so um, I don't know if I've ever done a two-pager. So just strap, strap your seatbelts and here we go. So the chapter that we're reading from James today um, is chapter two. I believe it is an expansion of the end of chapter one, um, where we've been. And chapter one ends with this verse, the very last verse, number 27. And when James uses the word, we talked about this, when James uses the word religion um, in this verse, um, he's not using it in a contemporary sense that we use it in. It's, it's not uh, one of the religions of the world um, or how you act, you know, so you hope you can be okay with God. When he uses this word, he's really talking about true faith. What would it be to be like a true follower of Jesus? And so he ends chapter one by saying religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. So this is what God's looking for in a true Jesus follower. This is what the, is at the heart of a pure uh, and undefiled faith. He says to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And then James, he takes all of this next chapter to kind of unpack that. And so he says, for example, you know, that that would look like not showing favoritism to the rich. And so when a rich guy or, or a rich family shows up, a wealthy family shows up, you know, and say, oh, you know, well, you can sit here, but you other guys, you people can just go just sit wherever you want, you know. He, he says, oh, and it would look like not giving empty hope to a person that's struggling. You know, like, we're glad that you're here. God bless you. Be well and be fed and be warm, knowing full well that they're going to walk out that door and not be fed and not be well and not be warm. And he says, that is not the kind of true faith that we're looking for. And then he says, to unpack it even further, it's the kind of faith that actually produces works. And so all of this chapter, he's expanding on the idea that the, the kind of Christianity, to, to put it into our language, that, that is pure before God, is the kind that treats uh, rich and poor alike. And it, and it isn't concerned about the possessions that people have, or their external situation, one that doesn't simply offer empty hope to someone by saying, you know, I'll pray for you and I don't know where you're gonna sleep tonight. I hope you can work that out, but God bless you and I'll be praying for you. And the kind of faith that is simply faith in the context and the pretext of what I believe, but, but, but isn't visible in the way that I live. 
And James brings this all home in this big kind of ending point, this axiom found in verse 24, uh, chapter two. And when you were reading along and you know, having some devotional time in James, if, if you didn't take a big gulp at this verse, then maybe you weren't paying attention enough to the text because he says, this is what he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear James say you're justified, now we tend to think that he's saying you're made righteous before God and and you're made right with God by your deeds, by what you do, not by faith. That's kind of how we just kind of, if we gloss over that verse, that's what it kind of looks like. But we know that that is not how you are justified. And so it's not how you are made right with God. And some of us, we immediately have all these alarm bells going off inside our spirit going, wait a minute, I think all of scripture kind of leads me to the conclusion that I'm justified before God and I'm made right before God by faith alone. So who is this James guy coming along into the story and creating this tension? And uh, with a quick gloss over, it looks like we have this major contradiction happening in the text, specifically between Paul who is the one who opens the way of understanding, that the, big under, the big understanding all through all, a lot of scripture in the New Testament um, of, of justification by faith. Uh, and now James, who we've already established as kind of the de facto leader of the New Testament church um, emerging in Jerusalem. And so the question on the table, maybe before we even begin the discussion is, does the Bible contradict itself? <laughs> Does the Bible contradict itself? And, and if you're looking honestly into the message today, you have to ask the question, is the Bible really reliable? If it contradicts itself, is that what's happening here? Or are we just gonna gloss over this and say, well, we just gotta believe? And, and so today gives us this incredible opportunity to dive deeply into the gospel of faith, but it also gives, you know, raises up this question and resolve this potential problem, is the Bible reliable? So today um, we're gonna look at the way that this word justify is used in two different cases. And we're gonna see two different contexts, Paul's and James context. And then we're gonna look at one message at the end with a massive challenge, because James always brings a challenge. And so let's start with a potential problem and I'm just gonna answer it first and then we'll let God work its way out as we journey through this morning. Is there a problem today in the credibility and the reliability of God's word? I'm just gonna give, give a lot of scripture today as you see. So, so much you know, that we, we, we just had to print the note pages separately this morning. They didn't fit on one page because I don't want anybody walking out this morning going, well, that guy said... I want every one of us walking out going today, well, I came to a deeper and richer understanding of God's word from his word. And so let's see how we can resolve this tension or this seeming tension in these two texts. Paul says in Romans 3, verse 28, to put it as clearly as we can today, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now back to James, <laughs> James, in contrast, James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So it feels like we've got a problem here. And it feels like maybe it's just one more time that whatever that voice that has, has spoken into your life, you know, somewhere back along the way that God's word is just all a concoction of, of people, a sort of trumped up thing to, to, that people use to lead people or push someone's agenda forward. And, and yet you really can't put your trust and your confidence in the Bible. And I'm just going to answer that off the top today and say, you can 
put your trust and your confidence in the word of God, okay? Because the best way to interpret scripture is to let the whole of scripture speak into it, right? And so there's a lot of ways you can pull a verse out of context from somewhere out of the air and make it look like we have a problem. But if you let all of scripture speak into those two verses, you'll notice that scripture has a message that is coherent and singular. <laughs> and we're gonna, we're gonna get to that conclusion at the end of the day. But just right off the bat, let's start with how James and how Paul are using the same word in both of their core texts. And now I think, I think we all know what justified means, but in the gospel sense, a lot of times when you hear this word, it means made right with God, right? So we're, we're asking the question today, how are you made right with God? Are you made right with God by faith, Paul, right? Or are you made right with God by works, James? Are you made right with God because of what Jesus did or are you made right with God because of what you do? But what we need to understand today is that there are two ways that the same word is being used in these two texts. Uh, because justify, I'm gonna just paint a picture really quick, is used by us, you and me, in two different ways. And we know this if we just stop and think about it for just a bit. Um, if you had an issue in court and you went to court, the judge ruled and you were ruled innocent or not guilty, right? You didn't have to pay the fine. You didn't have to do the punishment. Um, you were basically cleared. Your name was cleared. That is, you would be justified by the judge. In other words, the judge made you good and made you right in accordance with the law. Everybody on track and everybody tracking? Okay. Another way that we use the word justify is a phrase that we use, prove it. Will you justify so-and-so? So in other words, if this is true about your life, A, B, or C, or whatever it is that is, you need to justify that. Um, it, it's, it's the scene where if you said that you spent the money on X, whatever, uh, your boss says, well, you need to justify that. <laughs> What do you need to do? You need to turn in the receipts, right? That's what your expense report and what the receipts are all about. We really did go to such and such a city and we did go to such and such a restaurant and our clients were really there and it really was a business thing and it did push the agenda of our company forward. That's why I spent the $380, okay? I'm justifying what I spent and the fact that I spent it on the cause for which it was intended. That's justification, right? I'm justifying what I did. I'm proving it. So th this is a, a different kind of justifying, right? You see those two ways that we use the word? It's different than the kind of justifying that a judge would do when he says, you're cleared, you're innocent, you're good. It's not you proving something. Um, you know, when it's a judge, it's him declaring something. And in these two texts, this is on your notes, we're getting a declarative justification and a prove it justification. There's the two types of words that we're looking at there. One, of, one justify means it's a declarative justification. Another one is a proving it justification. And that's happening as you see, because the text and the context were different. And we're gonna look at that in just a second. So let's talk about the two contexts for just a minute. Paul's context in Romans 3.23 was to respond to those that were hanging on to the Jewish legal system. And by this point in time, there were so many laws there were so many. They'd gone from 10 commandments to hundreds of laws that you had to keep 
all exactly right to be good with God. But then Jesus comes along and Jesus is crucified for the sins of the world, dead, buried, and raised from the dead, right? And Paul's now preaching the resurrection of Jesus and a whole new way of being declared righteous or being justified. But some of the hang-oners, if you know what I mean, the ones that are trying to hang on to the old way, if, if you will, they're, they're trying to add on to the work of Jesus. And so their message is, well, thank you, Paul. You know, we appreciate this new Jesus gospel that you are presenting, but just to be safe, um, let's do this. You know, we'll, we'll believe in Jesus and everything that he did, plus we're gonna do fill in the blank, and then that equals, you know, we're good with God. That's what they were doing. They were adding on. So we're not, it's not like we're anti-Jesus and we're just, we're just adding on to Jesus some of the stuff that we had believed in the past. So that's where we believe we get our justification and our right standing with God. So this is Paul's context in the New Testament church, the early days after the resurrection, and he's speaking right into the heart of it. And we see this when we look in the full context of Romans 3, where we saw our core verse, where we were just reading moments ago. So let's pick it up in verse 21. And you'll see now the context of Paul. And you have to see this context versus James to actually be able to back up that there are two different ways that you can use the word justify. So let's read it. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been maintained or manifested apart from the law. Although the law, the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, there's our word, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So see how Paul is going right at those who are trying to add on to the finished work of Jesus. You see that there? And very clearly and very forcefully, he's kind of dismantling that kind of an argument. And then he asks a few questions as he, as he comes to the conclusion. He says this, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. And we're going to pick this up in just a moment. If, you know, if there is a way to be justified by what you do, the acts that you do, then at the end of the day, your story is going to be, no matter what kind of story it is, it's going to be the way I got to, to be good with God is because I did X, Y, and Z. And then therefore the boasting comes back to me. So Paul says, what becomes of our boasting? And then he answers and he says, it is excluded. Well, how is it, how is it excluded? On what principle? By the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's the context of Paul, okay? Now, what was the context of James? Well, we learn from the whole text of James as we've been reading it and from the moment in which he's leading the church that James is responding not to those who are trying to drag us back into keeping the law. James is responding to something else. James is responding to a skewed view of Paul and his message as he was responding to the people trying to add on to Jesus. Because the pendulum, doesn't, isn't this true? The pendulum seems to want to always swing, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and so it's either way over here, you know, I've got to do good and I've got to do right and I've, it's got to all add up and that's how you get good with God and I got to keep doing all this stuff 
and or the pendulum swings all the way over here to, wow, man, we are all forgiven and you, you get good by just believing in Jesus and, and that's all you got to do. You just got to have faith and all you, you got to do is claim Jesus and all you got to do is pray a prayer, raise your hand, fill out a card and say that you want to be saved. And, you know, and, and it's the guy that says, do you know what the Bible says? The, Paul says that where sin abounded, grace abounded even more. Well, I'm about to give that grace something to abound for tonight, right? That's kind of the idea. It, it, it doesn't matter what I do, man. I'm saved by the grace of God. That's the pendulum that's over here. And there's always that tension that the, that the pendulum from way over here, you've got to do it all, is going to swing all the way over here. I'm good with God and I'm covered by the blood. So tonight isn't going to be pretty, but it's under the blood. In James, his context is the guys who are trampling over the sacrifice of Jesus over here with a careless lifestyle that says, I'm covered by the grace of God through faith alone. And if I sin a Mount Everest worth of sin, grace is still going to be taller than that. And I'm not going to worry about this weekend come Sunday because I know that Jesus paid it all. And so, and James is forcefully, as, as Paul was speaking to the ad honors, he is speaking to the people who are wanting to say, I can live a life of sin because it'll actually just bring more glory to the grace of God. That was their attitude. And James is saying, I don't think that's the way it works. I don't think this is the way that we want to go. And so two different contexts are bringing us to these verses that seemingly are opposing to each other. But if you look carefully at all of Paul, Paul actually spoke to the same group of people that James was speaking to. So he and James are in common ground more than you think from these two verses. In Acts 15, we talked about it last week, um, the home church in Jerusalem has this major come to Jesus moment over this very issue. And Paul and James are both there. And, and James, ultimately, he ends up taking the floor. He ends up leading the moment so we know that they're not in opposite you know, places. They're actually on the same ground. But Paul also addresses the skewed view of what he was teaching. And, um, and he does it as you continue reading through Romans 3 over to chapter 4, where Paul gives an example of being justified by faith, which is Abraham. And, and then he comes to this pinnacle moment in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Let's read it together. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this is kind of this sea rising moment of being justified by faith, right? But he knows that there's this skewed view already afoot. And so he takes that on now in this next section. And he ends chapter five by saying in verse 20, now the law came, it came in to increase the trespass. And, and so in other words, God gave the 10 commandments so that, we, so that we would know how helpless that we are to keep the law. Uh, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign throughout the, through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So once, once he put that position forward, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Some people said, okay, well, let's help grace abound more by doing a little more sinning. And then Paul comes back in verse one, chapter six, and he addresses it. And he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's addressing that group, right? And then, then he says, by no means, exclamation point. 
You could probably put all caps there, by no means. He's, it's like he's shouting. You, you gotta read that with an exclamation point. He's fired up, and I'll show you that in a minute. He says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God of the Father. Read this last part with me. What does it say? We too might walk in newness of life. So I remember hearing about um, a college professor leading a discussion of what true faith and true justification really looks like. And the pastor was telling the story about, about him and he was asking the question um, that Paul's asking, you know, should, should we all keep going on tolerating sin in our lives? Should, you know, are, are we to harbor sin in our lives, accommodating sin in our lives, continuing in lifestyles of sin just so that at the end of the day it can all be covered by Jesus' sacrifice and more glory can come to God? And so then the professor, he reads this phrase, and so he's reading it in all the different translations. So in some translations, it says, God forbid, exclamation point. Another translation, it says, may it never be, exclamation point, is another way it reads. We read it in the Greek, um, may genome, and, and then he looked up and he, and he caught eyes with everybody in the class. And um, he, 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 this guy was Jewish and he was a bit eccentric. And on this day, it was said that there was fire in his eyes. <laughs> he was trying to communicate a point and really drag it through, you know, bring it through to everybody. And so he said, how do we translate this phrase in the Greek, in the original language into English? And he said, forgive me class, but the best way in our culture would be to say, Hell no, exclamation point. And, and this wasn't a cursing man. You know, this was, a, this was a Bible scholar and he was just saying, this is the closest that you can get to where we can really kind of feel what Paul is trying to get across here. Should we just all continue in sinful lifestyle so the grace of God can just be championed over our lives? Paul is kind of saying in our language, hell no. And, and so, you know, why? Why is that? Why, why is Paul getting so excited here? Because we were baptized into his death, therefore we were raised up in his life that we might have a new life. He's, he's really trying to say something here. So this is the gospel that Paul is preaching. So he's preaching against those who wanted to add on, but he's also preaching against those who wanted to take liberty by the grace of God and trample on Jesus' sacrifice. So two contexts but all of a sudden now we're starting to notice that Paul and James really aren't that far apart and what they're preaching. So what is James saying? Let's go back to James, James chapter two, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him is the question he asks. Then in verse 18, go down a few, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then down to verse 26, it says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, the two apart from each other, the body is not gonna be functioning. So also faith apart from works is dead. And that's exactly what Paul was saying. You see that? If you look through the story of Paul, you're gonna see the unfolding of a fuller story than simply you were saved by grace through faith and now we can just sit on that. <laughs> we can just sit and rejoice in the finished work of Jesus. That's not Paul's story either. That's not what he's preaching. And what I've discovered is often we leave off the last sentence here. And I think it's because 
as a church in general, I'm not talking about us, but as a church in general, as believers in general, we love being justified by faith alone <laughs> because it's kind of lets us off the hook, right? Of how we walk it out from that moment forward. But Paul doesn't let us do that either. And in Romans chapter eight, he really comes to a crescendo, not, not only saying that, you know, we, we don't want to trample on the blood of Jesus, but he goes on chapter eight to say, here's why. Here's why, because the spirit of God came into our spirit and now testifies that we are children of God, amen? This is like a mountain peak of being justified by faith. And he says, we are now made the children of God. But now look at how Romans 8 ends, it's important. It says, and if, he's talking about we, we are the children, and then we, we're, we're heirs. We're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So that means we're co-heirs with Christ. In other words, we're getting an inheritance from God. And we're heirs of God. Even better than that, we're co-heirs with Jesus. And so, I mean, yeah, come on, somebody. <laughs> we are children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus. And then there's this massive hiccup in this verse. And you're like, what do you mean? Why, why is there always, why, why, is, why are we bringing James into this? It says, provided. And somebody's going to say, well, I don't want any provisions. I want to know that I prayed a prayer at youth camp when I was 11 years old, when I threw a stick in the fire and nailed all my sins to the cross. And I know from that moment on, it's all done. I'm a child and I'm an heir. And I don't want anybody to try to talk me out of it. And he says, well, I just need to add this last line, if that's okay. Provided. Provided we suffer with him. And you're like, no, bro. <laughs> Justified by faith alone. Don't be talking about any ifs, ands, buts, colons, dots, dashes, comas, or colons. It is finished. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain. And he washed me white as snow. The end, amen, praise God. And Paul said, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may also be glorified with him. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sounds like James just got up in here with that verse. Sounds like James just got into my story. Well, let's do a real quick walk through the epistles. Let's just start with Galatians 5.1. It says, he's talking to the Adirondacks here. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Don't go backwards, in other words, into this religious system and get all tied up in that again. And we all go, amen. I'm not gonna get, go back into any law or legalism or religion. I'm not going back to that. But then he says down in verse 13, for you were called to freedom. You're like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We're free. And then he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through what? Love, serve one another. Ephesians 2.8. This is our bedrock text on being saved by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Now here comes that phrase again, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, right? And before you even stop Breathing, he says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? You say it, to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand. Keep going a little bit further to Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Jesus has been raised up. He's given the name above every name, every tongue, confess, every knee bowed. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Next phrase says, verse 12, therefore my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't just sit on your salvation. 
if I can put it into modern day language. Don't just sit on it. Don't rest on it. And don't settle too much on a prayer that you prayed 30 years ago. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, whatever, here, here's, what that, here's what it means by that. This is, this is kind of my, my translation of this. On your notes, whatever, whatever God did in you, what Paul's saying here is I want you to be about letting God work that out of you. <laughs> whatever God did in you, be about letting God work that out of you in the actual works of righteousness. So Paul's kind of getting up in our grill, just like James but not as much as he does in the next book over. So let's keep on going. Colossians 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. That all sounds like justification by faith. And above reproach before him. And then verse 23 is that verse that you don't hear preached a lot. (laughs) Most readings of this paragraph end with verse 22. Because verse 23 opens with the word if. (laughs) And you're like, Sean, what are you doing right now? (laughs) I was all comfortable in my salvation. Until you start reading these verses. If, can you say it with me? If indeed you continue in the faith. No, 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 no. Once saved, always saved, except for this verse, which says he did all the work. He made all the peace. He did all the bringing together. And Jesus did, in fact, pay it all, amen. And Jesus did, in fact, give you peace with God. You were, in fact, justified by the finished work of Jesus, amen. And, and, and that's yours if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, are James and Paul saying that we are to be saved by works? No, no. James chapter one, verse 16 makes it extremely clear that he does not believe this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. Here's a key phrase here. He brought us forth. Um, Some translations say he gave us birth. So that James is echoing Jesus saying, you gotta be born again. There's a birthing process that happens. He's echoing all of the gospel of Paul saying, you've gotta put your faith in Jesus and be born again as sons or daughters of God. Salvation comes by a spiritual birth, not spiritual work. And James is echoing that. He says it right in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be kind, uh, be, be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Then in, in chapter two, verse five, he adds to this with the whole idea of being heirs that Paul was talking about earlier in Romans eight. James says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be uh, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. So Paul and James are both clear about this. You are not saved by works. So we had a potential problem that I think that, you know, is resolved as we look at both of the books. We had two uses of justification that we've clearly seen when we've had two different contexts. But now we're coming down to understanding that uh, there's just one meaning in these two verses And that meaning in these two verses is that, is what this whole series is about, that true faith changes everything. That that a new identity, talking about being heirs, being being sons and daughters of God, and and being heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus, 
Here's what it comes down to. We've said this before. It's been on your notes before, and it's on your notes again. A new identity results in new activity. And if there's no new activity, what, it, what, what these guys seem to be saying, inspired by Holy Spirit, I'm just saying this is what it looks like. Maybe, maybe we should do a check-in on the prayer that we prayed 20 years ago. The message is merging here. It says new identity produces new activity. We've talked about this before. So some of us maybe need to write that down on our mirrors and you know, put, it, put it on the wallpaper on our phones. New identity brings with it new activity. When I got married to my wife, we've talked about this before, right? I made some commitments there to be with her through thick and thin and sickness and in health. And guess what? If some female comes up to me and starts flirting and trying to get my attention, I'm out of there. Why? Because Jesus has already done the miracle and I've become one with Deanna. So I'm not going to put myself in situations where I'm endangering my marriage. My new identity as a husband changes my activity. We've talked about, this happens when you become a parent too, doesn't it? Anybody who's a parent, can you give me an amen, <laughs> right? It changes, it changes who you are, right? And the challenge is now not letting that new identity take over your whole life, right? And rob you from your identity as a husband even, or a wife. So I'm now a husband and a father, so now my activities have changed a bit again. And I've got to get up early in the morning and I've got to get the kids, you know, go in different places. And I, I can't be as selfish as I was with my time, right? I've got to invest a little bit more. They need and want to be parented, um, given some good and healthy boundaries. And, and they want to know how to learn and to function in the world and be a child of God in the real world. And there's so much it feels like on me as, a, as I think about the role of being a husband and a father. But I want you to hear this this morning. It's the most normal and natural thing I can do with my life is to love my wife with all that I am. Why? Because I have a new identity and with that comes a new activity. <laughs> it, it just because, it's a natural thing that, to try to protect and cherish the treasure that I've been given because I'm committed to that, that person who I am. I'm a husband. It's the most normal and natural thing for me to give up some of my stuff and my time and what I want to watch and do, my wants and desires to invest in loving my kids and helping them to develop and all that God has for them to be because the change in my identity creates a very normal and comprehensive change in my new activity every day. I don't have, I've said this before too, I don't have to try hard to look like my dad, Right? I don't have to, I don't have to like work on my, you know, stretch my muscles or do anything. I just stand here. <laughs> I, I, I look like my dad. I don't have to struggle at all because I'm his son. He's gifted me with some genes to do that, <laughs> to just naturally be his son. I don't have to strive to do that. Being his son just comes naturally to me. My identity is because of my father. And so James and Paul really come down to this idea, your new identity and who you are is shaped because of who your father is. And because of who your father is, that's gonna change your activities. 
A new identity results in a new act. This is what James and Paul are coming together to help us to understand. So Paul is saying, here's how do you declare that someone is righteous? It's faith in Jesus. And James, they've got two different audiences that we're talking to here when we read these verses. And James says, here's how you prove. This is how you prove it. This is how you justify that kind of word. This is how you prove that you have been declared righteous. Your actions change because your identity now is a child of God. You have good genes, by the way. And so now we come down to the end and they talk about the, the we're, we're wrapping it up here. They talk about the illustration of Abraham. And it's interesting that both Paul and James use the same illustration. In Romans 4, Paul goes to Abraham. In James 2, James goes to Abraham. Why? Because he has this amazing thing said about him in Genesis 15, 6. Um, Abraham's wife can't have kids and, and they don't have kids until their elder age. God comes to him and he says, I'm gonna use you and make you a father of many nations. It'd be like God. God walking up to some of you and saying, uh, you're going to be debt free and back on your feet again. And, and you know, you're, you're going to find that perfect person and fall in love and have a family. And you're going to get through the window of pain and the agony that you're in right now. And your heart is going to be healed and whole again. And you're going to be functioning in your gifts. And you'd be like, oh man, I just, I can't see that happening. Some of us, right? But do you know what Abraham said? What Abraham when God said that he's going to be a father of, of nations, he said, okay, I believe it. If you said it, I believe it. That was his response. And when he said that, God said, did you all hear that? That is faith. That's faith. And faith justifies people. So even though you're before the story of the cross, because they were, that's where they were in the timeline of, of scripture, I'm going to count it to you now, right now, ahead of time. I'm going to count it to you righteous because that is faith. And it says about Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Based on what? Faith. Okay, so there's the picture of faith. But then you fast forward to Genesis 22 and God tests that faith. And now Abraham has a son, a miracle son, by the way. And God says, bring Isaac up and offer him to me as an act of worship. And now that sounds like, you know, crazy and, and strange kind of Old Testament weird, right? Um, but that was common in the day of Abraham. This was a common cultural thing. Child sacrifice was just a way of life for all kinds of religions outside of the true faith and, and Yahweh, uh, Jehovah God. And so don't get confused and don't think that God was trying to get Abraham to offer his son, even though Abraham was gonna do it. But, but when he got ready to do it, God says, don't do it, don't touch him, exclamation point, right? So even, God's not asking you to do that. He's just asking, this is what he's asking. Are you willing to take the most promised and precious thing in your life and put it in my hands in faith. And the moment Abraham was willing to offer, he was, he was doing an act, right? The most precious thing in his life to God, not understanding why. James says in chapter two, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. And he showed that was real by his work. A person's faith, just another way of saying it again, another way to write it down this morning on your notes, a person's faith is shown to be legitimate <laughs> when their outward works display the inward change that has taken place as a result of conversion. Does that make sense? Say it this way. Faith alone saves. I think everybody can say amen to that this morning, but the faith that saves is never alone. 
faith alone saves, but the faith that saves, you never find it by itself sitting over there somewhere in a sealed envelope with a date on it saying, I raised my hand in 1999. <laughs> I prayed a prayer in 2008. And it's in the drawer all nice and tidy and sealed up all by itself in there. That's where my faith is. No, true faith is never found by itself. It is always found with fruit on the branches. It's found alive. It's found active. It is always found with the corresponding chorus of works of God being worked out through us. True faith is never alone, never alone. And so now we've get this one message. A person's faith is shown or justified or, or proven or to be legitimate through the fruit and through the actions of faith in their lives. So therefore, the title of the message is today, thank you, MC Hammer, too legit. <laughs> too legit to quit. Our faith is legitimized. So we started the day with a couple of verses that sounded like different and opposite things, but they're not. James and Paul sound like two different things, but they're not. It's exactly the same message. Paul and James are saying the same thing. Justify. I have been made right by the finished work of Jesus, proved and justified by the fact that I actually look like him. I'm walking like him. I'm walking with him and changing into his likeness and maturing into the full version of who God intended for me to be. Not trampling over the blood of Jesus, but walking in his aha moments, awakened to the truth of all that he has for me and being shaped and changed into the fullest version of who God wants me to be. It's David coming out of the stone, right out of the marble. He's letting us out to be the full version. Now, one last thing in closing. James throws, throws a grenade into the middle of this whole text in one line. He says, oh, I know somebody who's going to say it already. So he just says at verse 19, we believe that God is one. <laughs> now that meant a lot more to them than it means to us now, because there were thousands of gods um, in their culture, tens of thousands of idols. But the Jews were coming in and saying, our God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're one. Jehovah Yahweh is our God. And it made, it made them different among the people. And he said, we believe in one true God. The equivalent of that today would be, you know, Hey, Sean, don't, don't start coming over here in my world and telling me that I need to make modifications. I believe the Bible. I believe Jesus died on a cross. I believe he was buried in a tomb. I believe that he was raised from the dead. I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe in these guys, the founders of our faith. I believe in Paul and James and the Holy Spirit that spoke through them. I believe it all. And James says, hey, brother, if that's what you're banking on, if that's just, that's it for your salvation and security, then guess what? The devil also believes what you believe. That's what he says in the very next verse. And they, the demons, they tremble at who God is. So don't get trapped, he's saying, with a faith in an envelope in a drawer that's all by itself. And don't get trapped in your head going, you know, I've got good orthodoxy. <laughs> I believe the stuff. James is like, the devil has better orthodoxy than you do because he's actually there when God created the universe. You think he doesn't have a big view of God? He said, if you want to be confident, then work it out like this. That's James. Work out your faith like this. So has the decision that you made to believe in the justification of God by faith led you to use that platform to love other people? It's really simple. Love God, love people. And are you seeing fruit on your branches as a result of it? So yes, praise the mount. 
I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love, but I take confidence today in saying that there actually is proof that this is faith, that is too legit to quit. And there is now change happening in my life. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, James. And thank you, Jesus. Because as much as Jesus had faith to believe that if he gave his life for you, that you'd be saved, it was only by his actual work that it was done. He gave his life for you. Faith working saved you. Jesus' faith working saved you. And God is calling us to Jesus today. And this, I keep telling us, changes everything. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word today. Man, your word is good. Speaks to us. It's full of grace. It's full of life. It's full of truth. God, I just pray this morning that your grace would just cover this message. Lord, that we would know that the the end result of this is that the, the, the message is that I am your son, I, I'm your daughter. And that just means I, I walk different, I, I live differently. When I walk out those doors, I act differently because I'm your son and I'm your daughter. That's what it all comes down to. Lord, my identity is different and therefore my actions are different. So Lord, let our faith, we've been justified by all that you did for us. You did, you finished the work. Let that be worked out in our lives as we walk out the store. That's it. It's as simple as that. Because we love you, we love people. Because we love you, we become like you. So God, let that truth just rest on us today. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. If you're here this morning, I just want all the saints praying. Um, and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you feel a tug to resurrender your life to Jesus this morning. I just want to give you that opportunity. And, and uh, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about a prayer or any of the words that I'm going to say. But I just, I just want to start, help lead you, give you some words today to kind of help reignite or start that journey for the first time. Jesus did pay it all. He did the work so that you can rise up and, 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 and be rescued from whatever pit you're in. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's faithful, he's good, and he's true. And if you feel Holy Spirit, if you feel a tug this morning that, yeah, that's me, I need to make that decision to follow Jesus with my life this morning, whether you're online or here in the house, with nobody looking around, every head bowed, would you just raise your hand? I just wanna pray with you this morning. Is there anybody? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. All right. I want all of us to pray this prayer together this morning. Would you repeat after me? Father God, I give you my heart. Thank you for your word spoken to us today. You are all that I need. You've paid it all. Thank you for the cost that you paid on the cross for me. I want to follow you with all of my life. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.